Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there, Matt, how are you? Really good things, Mark. A really busy week, but that's what you want. You don't want to be sitting around doing nothing, do you? That's exactly right, particularly when this weather's been so beautiful. What about today? I think it's 21 degrees again. It has been nice, actually, hasn't it? It's Mm. been nice in the mornings, not being quite so cold, getting out on the bike and not having to put up with freezing cold toes and fingers. It's it's a nice change, let me tell you, isn't it, from those minus sixes and minus sevens. Now, mate, look, you've had a uh, very busy week, and we're going to get into that, of course, on today's podcast. But let's start with the official opening of the new chamber. Because, of course, uh, this week saw the uh, the new council chambers down there uh, being officially opened. Um, now, I noticed the fact there that uh, when all this opened, you went into a little bit of a history of, in regards to uh, the chamber in Dubbo. Because, of course, there's been a little bit of controversy surrounding the new chamber. And some members of our community feel the fact that uh, you shouldn't have moved it because it's, there is the tradition behind it. But I notice here there's, um, there's a little bit more to this, uh, the movement of the chamber. So talk us through in regards to the history of the Dubbo Council Chambers or Dubbo Regional Council Chambers these days. And it is quite interesting because there is history associated with anything, but as you quite correctly pointed out, history keeps changing. Mm. And it was actually quite nice at the opening on Thursday night, we had former all former councillors and former senior staff were invited along to the opening. So we had a number of former councillors, former deputy mayors, former mayors there. So that was all nice and some former senior staff as well. And I did actually speak about it at the opening because exactly as you said, some people were concerned that we should have a dedicated chamber that sat there. And I've used the word pragmatic, which some Mm. people haven't liked my use of the word pragmatic. right, all right. But it has been a pragmatic decision. Mm. The old chamber, the old council chamber that is no longer used, was a fairly large space, and we have mentioned it before briefly on this podcast, but a fairly large space that was used twice a month. Yes. It was used for our standing committee meetings. Sometimes those meetings only go for an hour, maybe half an hour at most. Sorry, maybe an hour at most. Sure. The council meeting each month, sure, sometimes it might go for three hours. Right. So it might mean in total four hours a Mm. month and you've got all this dedicated space. It's a lot of space for four hours of work, isn't it? It is. That's exactly right. Our plan is to take that space and use it for maybe other meetings or Mm. maybe office space, but use it for something that can be used all day every day Mm. rather than twice a month. Then we still have to have council meetings. So then we've moved to our downstairs meeting rooms now where we've got conference rooms, meeting rooms. They're used throughout the day, all day, every day. There's people in there doing meetings that can be reconfigured to different sizes. Mm. So we set them up so they can be reconfigured twice a month mm. for a council meeting and for our standing Makes committee meetings. Makes more sense, doesn't it, really? It does seem to. And we've got the furniture that can be rolled away and packed up in a little room that we've got there. So it's out of the way. Mm. And then come council meeting day, our staff in the afternoon, we just roll it out. So it could be used in the morning for other things and then roll it out mm. in the afternoon. But let's look a little bit at the history. Mm. If we go back, and I'm going back, to the 19th of February, 1872. Well, I just put on my pilgrim hat here, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Dabo was gazetted as a municipal council. So basically right. that was the formation of the first council mm. and the first mayor was elected on the 24th of April, 1872. James Samuels Jr. was elected and the first council meeting where they elected that mayor was held in the courthouse. Right, Okay. So that was where they held meetings for a short period of time. 1881, they began work on the new council chambers and town hall. Right. And that's where meetings were held 
Is, is that the current site where it is right now? No, the, that building doesn't exist. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> Sorry. It's gone. Okay, there we go. Uh, and then in 1938, the new Dubbo Municipal Council chamber, Chambers were built. Right. And again, meetings were held there from yes. 1938 onwards. That building doesn't exist anymore He's either. Going to. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> then we go forward to the 24th of April, 1972. And the first meeting was held at the current civic ah, administration so this is the existing building. one, right? Okay, That's right. yes, yes. And that was to commemorate 100 years since the very first meeting ah. was held at the old courthouse back in 1872. So that was the first meeting, the first council meeting. That building was open, obviously. Yep. Now, that building that we've got there is still the same building today. There's a third floor that's been added on. Right. And third floor, it's always interesting. It's... Ground floor, first floor, second floor. So it's the third yes, of the floors. Yes, but third it's, of the it's, three floors. It's yes, floor two, it. if yes. you like. That was added on after the fire, which I'll mention in a minute. Right. But the number of staff that were housed in that building hmm. back in 1972 hmm. were 35. Oh, really? 35 That was staff. all it was? Yep, that's wow. right. We had our admin, engineering, health departments in there. Yeah. And down... Must have been a bit more space back then, I'd imagine. a lot of space back then. 35 people. And that's not a bad point, actually, because you think about the council chamber in 1972, mm. the officers would have been fairly spacious with only 35 Absolutely. staff there. Yes. Having a whole area, a whole room dedicated for the council chamber that was used twice a month, mm. probably no big deal. No, that's right. Keeping in mind, we've got across the road in Church Street, we've got a building that council bought many years ago mm. that's got staff in there because we can't fit them in our current wow. building. Wow. The idea of freeing up this space with the council chamber being changed, yeah. those staff should be able to come across into our main building mm. there rather than have that building. So we could sell that building or lease it out. Mm. But again, it's all about making sure we do the most with the yep. ratepayers' dollar. Yep. And so we go to 1972, have obviously the, the meetings being held there, 35 staff in there. And so that's fine. That was still with Dubbo Municipal Council. But in 1980, there was an amalgamation. We had Dubbo City Council formed from the amalgamation of Dubbo Municipal Council and... Talbagar Shire Council. Right, yes. So meetings were still held there. The council chamber was still the same council chamber. Yep. In 1987, it was renamed, or it was never named initially, but it was named after Norm Cox. Now, Norm Cox oh, yes. died yes. on the 21st of yes. September 1986. He was the mayor when the amalgamation occurred. So mm. immediately before the amalgamation and then immediately after the amalgamation. Time my grandfather, absolutely. Eddie Meek, that's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So that was the program, if you like, that was where we got to with that. So that building has been used since 1972. Mm. That council chamber has been used since 1972, not since 1872. No, no, that's right. So, so they've been 50 years old as opposed to 150. And there have been a few different meeting places along mm. the way. Now, throw in the next little change mm. was on the 15th of April 2003, there was a fire in the Civic Admin Building. Yes, I remember this, yes. The, the building could not be used, so they mm. couldn't keep using it. Now, as luck would have it, council had bought the old Devo High School off the state government, mm -hmm. and they were preparing to do something with that. But in the meantime, they hadn't done anything with it at that time. Mm. Council effectively moved into the old Devo High School. Yes. Now, when I first got elected to council in 2004, my first experience with a council chamber was an old classroom or assembly hall at Devo High School. So basically... Mm. One of the rooms at Dubbo High School that used to have students in there and teachers and probably students throwing around probably paper airplanes. So what I just walked into here. And <laughs> it, it was pretty casual. I must yeah, admit, yeah. I remember sitting down at something that 
resembled probably an old school desk and the chair probably was about the same sort of thing that was used back in the old Dubbo High School. And the public gallery, because you were trying to fit it all in one room, yes. was basically beside me. They could look over my shoulder and look at the notes I was writing on all our business papers. you needed was none out the front with the cane, and there you would be. <laughs> yeah, there was probably never a nun at Double High School, was there? Oh, no, they're probably that's right. Yeah, yes, but, yes. but a teacher at the front Absolutely, with the cane, sure. Absolutely, that's right. So that was two years meetings were held there, and the council didn't move back into the current Civic Admin building mm. until the 15th of April 2005, exactly two years after that fire. Mm. So I don't think decisions that were made at council during that time were worse or better. Mm. There were still councillors. They were still considering information. They still were being serious in their considerations of what they were doing. So the location shouldn't matter. You should be able to have a council meeting sitting out in a paddock and still have a council meeting. Mm. And that was almost what happened in 2014. On the 26th of May 2014, a council meeting was held in the flat floor section of the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre. Okay, so what happened there? What was the reason for that? There was a bit of controversy around a discussion of changing some zoning in South Dubbo. And there was a campaign started called SOS Save Our South. Yes, I vaguely remember this. Okay, so there was a a council meeting then held outside of its uh, normal sort of premises for that. For outside mm. the normal council chamber because yeah. there were so many people that wanted to come along okay. and watch the meeting. There was a bit of controversy, a bit of public interest, mm. and the public gallery at the time in the old council chamber might have been ho- able to hold mm. maybe 100 people at most, maybe not mm. even that, maybe 80 people, and we thought there'd be more than that w- would want to come along and watch this council meeting. Yeah. So for that one council meeting, we moved it over there, and we did have a fairly large crowd in the gallery, which was basically ended up being on the flat floor, and we sat up on the stage oh, yeah, for right, that council okay. meeting. Yep. Again, it wasn't as if we went, oh, we're in the theatre now, mm. we better behave differently. We mm. were still making council decisions. Yep. Then jump forward to the 27th of July, 2023, and we have now moved to our downstairs conference rooms for our council meetings. Mm. Now, the other thing that I think is important in this is that disability access for anyone that might have been in a wheelchair or might have been struggling to walk, they might have had a cane or might have been difficult for them to walk, to get to the old council chamber, you would have to come up a ramp on the main floor, on the ground floor of the council building. Then you would have to go in a lift up to the floor that the council chamber is on. Right, yes. Then you'd walk along and there was another set of short stairs to go down to the chamber. So there was a small stair lift that you have to go into to go down that. process. And then once you got in the chamber... The public gallery, assuming you were coming along to mm. watch the meeting, had steps up to it. So if you came along in a wheelchair, you probably would have had to sit beside mm. the public gallery area, mm. not in the public gallery, yeah, right. because it would have been difficult to get up there. Yep. Not great if you want to encourage everyone to come along to be fully inclusive. Yes. And what about for someone that might want to stand for council? They might be mm. discouraged because they might think... Mm. I'm going to struggle to get to council meetings because I've got to go through all this whole process to actually get to the meeting. The great part about being now on the ground floor where the meeting rooms are, the conference rooms are, is we've just got a short ramp that anyone in a wheelchair could just go from the council car park straight up the ramp and everything's on the same level. Mm. So all the councillors' chairs, the staff chairs, the public gallery chairs are all on the same level. We've made the move. I think it's a good move. Yeah. It was a, a move. It was a resolve by council to make the move. So councillors are obviously all in agreement with it. And sure, it probably doesn't Mm. look as important, in inverted commas, as the old council chamber. Mm. But I have this idea that if you need an important room to be important, Mm. maybe you've missed the point. I think think important decisions can still be made by people that are given important roles, i.e. councillors and staff, 
I think the the gravitas of yeah. the whole room can still be the same. And it's just a mindset, I suppose. Well, I think you've just uh, absolutely hit the nail on the head. It's not about the building. It's the people who are in it. Mm, exactly. This is an interesting little one here, Matt. Uh, Project Huawei. Now, I'm not really quite sure what Project Huawei is, but you might be able to obviously uh, update me here and update our listeners in regards to it. But they've made a commitment or a renewal at the WPCYC. So... What's um, First and foremost, what is Project Huawei? It's actually a formalisation of things that I've seen the police do for decades. And I remember back when we were young, I used mm. to see the police involved in different activities with kids that were maybe going down the wrong path or some kids that were disadvantaged. I think the police in general have done a great job in encouraging different members of our community, mm. in particular some youth members of our community, to go down the right path. Mm. Even over the last, say, 10 years or so, I've seen the police involved with basketball matches or getting kids involved in breakfast events, just Mm. making sure that kids aren't slipping through the cracks. Mm. Back in 2019, it was, uh, or a decision was made to formalise this process. So rather than just the police doing it on an ad hoc basis, police saying, we'll get involved with this and let's change this over here, they actually created this whole project Huawei Mm. around Let's make sure we've got some programs in place and let's do it here in the Arana command first and then it could roll out to other areas across the state. Right. So it started here and it did formalise those processes. What have you got? You've got Friday nights, you've got certain things happening. Sometimes I'll get 200 kids at the PCYC yeah, on wow, Friday okay. night. Yep. And one of the things that's really important, I think, is there are some kids in our community who would grow up maybe with not the best parental guidance mm. and they would see someone in blue as bad or the enemy Mm. because maybe the parents have Mm. had some various run-ins with the police over the years. Mm. So they've got a negative association with the police. Mm. And having positive encounters, positive interactions with the police for some of these kids, Mm. they might realise that the police are actually good. The Mm. police are there to help them. Mm. When something happens, if, if you've seen an accident or someone's hurt or you've had an incident happen, what's the first thing people do is they Mm. ring triple O and they love to see someone in blue coming along to help them out. It it might be fire, it might be ambulance as well, but we have got some absolutely fantastic first responders in our community that literally put their lives on the line to help other people. Absolutely. I have a huge amount of respect for police. In fact, all those Arms service, all those first responders, and you extend it out to rural fire service and SES. Huge Mm. amount of respect for those people who put themselves in harm's way for other people. Again, you want to make sure that some of these kids have some sort of positive interaction. And this is what we're seeing with Project Huawei, a variety of activities, I think. So just out of curiosity then, so uh, who was actually at um, the announcement there for this uh, renewal? So Tim Chin was yeah. there. Tim's the commander, the Runaway Flurry Command commander. Mm. Uh, also Ian Burns there. Ian has probably been the main one that I've seen over the years involved with some of the, the kids. Okay. Uh, several other police don't know all their names, I'm sorry. We had our local member, Dougal Saunders, there right. as well, and yep. obviously myself. Actually, they were quite nice about it because I had to make it to another event that day down in Wellington, Yes. and they actually brought it forward half an hour to allow me to actually make it long because they thought it was important that the man oh, was there. That's a nice thing to do. Yeah. So is there, uh, in regards to this, so how do they then promote 
this through things like, um, I don't know, just in regards to a general sense for a media release? So do, they, do they turn around and take photos and opportunities and things like that for, for people to be involved in to promote what's happening? <laughs> well, funnily enough, you, yes, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Right. So we had uh, Prime 7 were there. They were doing some video footage. They did some video footage with Dougald and, yes. and with the, the police there, had some media outlets there taking some photos. But there was an interesting little incident that happened there, right. happened? which um, which I... I'm still a bit confused about, right. but I'll, I'll mention it anyway, and, and readers can make up their own mind about it. We had a, a quick photo there at the end of the the various interviews, etc., with the police that were there present, the local member, Dougal Saunders, mm-hmm. myself, and we had that photo taken. Now that photo would be used by the local media outlets, be used on social media, etc. Yep. But the local media officer there for the police actually came over and spoke to Dougal afterwards and said we've been told that we can't have photos with you and the police in the one right? photo. Why's that? Well, that was the question that I asked. Yeah, I yeah. said, I'm a bit confused here. Are you saying that it can't be with Dougald and the police or it can't He's be with me He's a good-looking bloke. I'm sure you look good in the photo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it can it be not be Dougald and I with yeah, the police? Yeah. And I do feel for the media advisor because mm. she was doing her job and she'd been told from above, right. from the department, that they weren't to have the local member in photos Wait with the police. This is not some sort of political thing about the fact that we've got a Labor government and Dougal's national. I'd be very disappointed if it was, but it, it did smell a bit like Goodness that. Goodness me. Anyway, I did say to, yeah. the, to the media lady, look, I'm, I feel really sorry for your position, and it's a tough position you've been put in. I said, but I think that's a bit silly. This mm. is our local member. Yep. I don't care what flavour, what party or anything else, you've got to give respect to, to the position. Yeah. He's our local member, duly elected in a democratic society. Absolutely. And he's our state government representative and the police are employed by the state government. Yep. Having a photo with the state member and state employees is entirely appropriate. Mm. And in fact, if you want to promote and talk about the great work the police are doing with Project Huawei, mm. Mm. wouldn't you want your local member Absolutely. involved in that? more the merrier. So I actually did say to her that I'm going to post the photo on my social media. Oh, good on you. Well done. And if there's any issue there, then certainly feel free to tell the minister to make a call to me. I didn't want this lady to be in trouble because no, she was no. doing her job. That's and, right. And that's, unfortunately, she had her hands the tied. Writer, don't shoot the messenger sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, so I said, make sure if your superiors contact you and complain about the photo that I've posted – Tell them to talk to me oh, because well. I think it's a bit petty and silly. Yes. And again, I think we should be promoting this because it's a great program. Well. In the end, I got a phone call from the police a couple of hours later and they said, you've got permission to use the photo, oh, right? which was lucky because I'd already used it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Well done. Now, we talked about this last week, uh, about the citizenship ceremony down there in Wellington. Now, this was your first time down there, Matt, uh, having to uh, preside over uh, this ceremony. So, talk us through it. How many uh, new citizens did uh, did we bring into Wellington? Six new citizens. Oh, fantastic. Five from one family, right. one yes. from uh, another family. Yeah, a bit of background just, here for us. Who, who are these people? Well, they just all happened to be from the Philippines. Just oh, wonderful. Coinc- well, the five from the Philippines wasn't a coincidence because it was one family. <laughs> but the right. fact that there was another person from the Philippines yeah. was uh, just a coincidence. Isn't that lovely? But again, I do like to talk to people after citizenship ceremonies. Mm. And one of the conversations I had was with the family. And I, I actually talked to the kids first. Okay, yep. why did mum and dad come? How long ago did they come? It was yep. about eight years ago they came. I said, why did mum and dad come? And they went, oh, we don't know. <laughs> so I quizzed mum and dad. That's right. And I quizzed mum and dad. So the dad said that he had looked at 
ads because he wanted to get to Australia. There was a focus on mm. Australia. Mm. Looked at ads. He had qualifications as a mechanic, a car mechanic, right. and looked at various ads. And there were ads advertised for jobs for mechanics across the nation. Yep. And he liked the look of Wellington. And there was a job going at Ron Stubberfield Toyota there. Wonderful. So he applied for that job and went through a pro process and basically got that job. And it's a pretty big commitment. He came to Australia mm. for about a year before the rest of his family came wow. over. Yeah, so that's a that is huge, isn't it? Fairly lonely yeah. time frame when you leave your wife and three kids yep. to look after them. No family, new country. That's right, and then you come to a new country. So mm. eventually, the rest of the family came over. His wife works at Maranatha, which is a aged care facility okay. in Wellington. Actually, they've got childcare as well as aged care now, but right, essentially right. stayed off as a as an aged care facility. So she works there. He's still working at Toyota, which was great. And again, just the kids, they love Australia. They love being part of Wellington. So mm. that was all fantastic. Uh, the other lady that moved to Dubbo, or sorry, she actually did move to Dubbo. Originally, they came to Ningen, and she had a partner with her, a partner from Australia. But originally, they moved to Ningen. She said she lived in Manila. So oh, right. okay, yeah. A very large city. I yeah. can't even tell you the population, but maybe 15 or 20 million in Manila. Massive difference. To Ningen. So, oh, so that was a bit of a culture shock. Cheese and chalk there. <laughs> then, yeah. and that was, again, uh, from a, a job perspective, yep. they moved to Dubbo, yep. and they were working in Dubbo, living in Dubbo, and they found it okay, but they actually, once they'd experienced somewhere a bit quieter like Ningen, mm. they actually liked the idea of somewhere a bit quieter. Yeah, nice. So both of them, so the lady who was made a new citizen and her Australian partner, mm. then moved to Wellington, bought a house in Wellington, and they commute to Dubbo each mm. day. So they still work in Dubbo, but they just like the idea of living in Wellington, mm. so they're living down there. So, fantastic. You m remember that we mentioned we had 38 new citizens at a Dubbo ceremony yes. earliest month, so that's yeah. two ceremonies in the same month. Wow. That's 44 new citizens. That's great. We've started to bring them forward, as I mentioned before. Our next ceremony will be at the beginning of September, less than two months. So, they used to be three months. I said we need to bring them forward a bit yeah. shorter so that we can have not so many people. Yep. But our next one, we've already brought it forward to make them two months in between, and I think we've got about 36 going oh, really? through that one in that one. Wow. Well, it'll, there'll be a set amount yep. and there's a cutoff date. So yeah, right. it'll be around that kind of number yep. for the one in early September. So we're, we're rolling them out about every two months and we're just still keeping those numbers up. So it is quite incredible. Now, of course, that uh, the Wellington uh, citizenship ceremony took place on Tuesday morning. You then basically got in the car, drove back uh, to Dubbo, jumped on a plane headed to Sydney and then up to Queensland. And, of course, it sounds like Lugsy went to Toowoomba, to Toowoomba. <laughs> so what drew you to, to Toowoomba? Well, you're right. I had to fly from – had to make it back. Uh, and after I'd been at Project Warway that morning, yes. I was making sure I wasn't going to speed on the roads. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've just been there talking to the police saying, you're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> I don't want to be out there catching me on the road. That's Not that right. I would speed anyway, of course. I would yes. recommend everyone stay at least at the – or at the maximum as a speed limit. And so came back, flew to Sydney, flew to Brisbane, right. and then drove from Brisbane across to Toowoomba. You're making me tired just hearing <laughs> that, let me tell you. And I had a conference to present at the next day, the right. next morning. First, actually, I had a breakfast to attend at 7 o'clock, but the conference I had to present what at the next What time did you get into uh, Toowoomba? Got into Toowoomba late. I got into Toowoomba too late for anywhere to get something to eat, except one place I found still open, luckily. They finished at 9, so I must have McDonald's gotten McDonald's or something, wasn't no, it? No, no. I... I <laughs> I, I'd love I to see you crack a big back, nah. yeah, one of those Big Macs or a quarter pounder one day. It's been a long time since then. <laughs> but it must have been before nine o'clock, just because the kitchen at the place I found closed at nine o'clock, so I made it just in time for there. Yep. So yeah, yep. finally got something to eat there, and yes. then obviously uh, sat down to answer the 
38 or so emails I'd received that I day. I imagine, absolutely. It was sort yeah. of banking up. That's right. And it was early start the next day because I had to actually prepare my presentation the next day. So I started about 4.30 a.m. the next morning, morning. <laughs> to get ready to prepare because I had to go to the breakfast, as I said. And right. then I had two things to do at the conference, uh, do a presentation, but also run a workshop for them. Right. But the conference was the SEGRA conference. Now, they've been running, SEGRA's been running What's these. That? Stands for Sustainable Economic Growth in regional Australia. Okay. And they've been running these conferences for about 25 years now at different locations, not surprisingly, regional locations Mm, around mm, Australia. And the presentation I did was talking about how to make sure we can get our voices heard in Parliament, in the the power locations from regional locations, talk about that, and then we ran a little workshop Was that a big conference, a lot of people there? About 200 people at the conference. So it was a reasonable-sized conference. Yeah, and. You are preaching to the converter a little bit because most of the people there are from regional locations. Sure. But the workshop was quite interesting because I got to talk to they, – they did a little breakout and put people in a group. So I had about 30 people in my group to run a, a small workshop and some different ideas that we're yeah. running forward with. So, yeah, that was a, a busy morning. But then, of course, I had to jump in the car and drive back to Brisbane and fly back to Sydney and fly back to Dubbo because we then This is had, all over two days, by the way. That's right. This is on the Wednesday because we had our councillor briefing on the Wednesday, which started at 5.30 that afternoon. Yeah. And made it back in time for that, but that went through to about ten o'clock that night. So oh it had been a pretty big day that day. <laughs> and then of course sit down and answer all the emails that I received that day. Oh, so yeah, look, it's pretty busy. And even going to conferences like that, yeah. I've had people say before, Oh, you know, you're off on another junket and you go, Well, it's not sitting around drinking pina coladas, smoking no. cigars, looking at the so it's in, not, infinity ocean oh, well, you pool. just blame my idea what being a mayor is. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Sorry, it's not like the Lord. It's, it's busy. And again, you're trying to make sure you're satisfying all the people that want to see you. Mm. So Project mm. Wallaway and then a citizenship ceremony, then go to mm. a conference. And so you, you're trying to get mm. to all these different things. You could take a luxurious three or four days to travel to Toowoomba and do that. But then mm. there are people who need or want to see you at yeah. various events back here in Dubbo that you're missing out on as well. So, yeah, look, it's busy, but that's that's what you sign up for. If, yeah. you're, if you're doing the job yeah. properly in a thriving regional area like Dubbo Regional Council, yeah. local government area, yeah. then you're going to be busy doing all of that. But yes. uh, hopefully anyone doing this role is going to enjoy doing all that because you want to see that passion come through as well. Oh, absolutely. is interesting. So uh, you've gone up there, you've been in Toowoomba, you come back, you, you're in Wellington, then you go back to Wellington uh, last Friday there in regards to uh, heading out to the Wellington Correctional Centre. Now you went out there for uh, for NAIDOC, um, but you had a bit of a, a chat to the governor out there, I think it's the, the title of the person who runs it, and it sounds like you also had a chance to uh, a bit of meet and greet some of the uh, the prisoners out there as well, or the inmates, or whatever their new title is. The this is my third visit to Wellington Correctional Centre, mm. but this is the first visit where I've interacted with the inmates. Okay. And How so was that was that? that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah actually right. very interesting, which I'll get to in a moment. But this was all part of NADOC Week, okay. which is a poorly named week because the first event I went to for NADOC this year was on the 3rd of July when we had a mm. march through the CBD of Dubbo it's and then really a flag a week, raising ceremony. Like That's right. Month. I went to another event at the end of that week and then this event here for uh, NADOC in the mm. Congressional Centre at mm. the on the 28th of July, that one was. So that spanned over most of the month. So maybe mm. NADOC month would be more accurate That's than right, NADOC exactly. week. That's it. But it, it was actually quite interesting. Yeah. And I went through three different sections of the jail. There was the maximum security area, right. the minimum security area, yep. and then the female area. Okay. And each of them did a small celebration as part of NADOC. They had a, a cake to cut. They had some different 
sweets, if you like, that were given out to various inmates mm. there. Mm. I got to play a bit of a, a game of kick a footy I was around. Say football, like rugby league. I think, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, they, they were You're a playing. Braver man than me, if that's they, the case. Well, they were playing a bit of touch before I got yeah, there. Yeah, right. They, they okay. didn't keep playing touch when I got there. But yeah, we we're just doing some forcey backs or okay. kick it to me, whatever you want to yeah, call yeah. it. Just did you uh, hold your own? Did you? Or? Uh, no, some of the guys there had an incredible boot. There was one of the guys there, yeah. I reckon, would rival Matt Burton for Is the boot right? he had on him. Yeah, he was he was bringing rain down with oh, the football wow. when it came wow. down. So, no, I didn't quite hold my own. <laughs> Dressed in my suit, playing forcey backs. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see some photos of that. <laughs> well, that's interesting because you can't take your phone oh, in, of course. Right, can't exactly. take your photos. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I did remember from a previous visit, I did go there one time and handed my phone over yep. and went through. And just as I was about to go into the area, the governor that was with me on that day yep. said, is that watch a smartwatch? I went, yeah, it is. He said, you better take that off because if you go through this door here, that's just an offence you've created by taking a communications device into a prison. Oh, wow. Okay, let's take that off. Yeah, so that's I, I right. knew this time. Please feel free to take it now. That's right. And, and it's funny because when you talk to the – because I lost – track of the time when mm. I'm in there then mm. because I don't have a watch, I don't have my mm. phone. And anytime I'd ask one of the staff there for yeah. the time, you can see they've got these old analogue watches on, which is <laughs> a bit funny because you expect some uh, of the old smart watches. specials from Big W sort of thing in the old days, the old Casios, that's the go. Yeah. Now, just yeah. to give you a, a bit of a snapshot on prison life, in the maximum security area, yeah. you go into your cell at 3.30pm each day. You come out each morning, right. you go into your cell at 3.30pm each day. Goodness me. That cell individual or in pairs is the doors closed yep and unless there is a major incident unless something happens inside as one of the, the guards said to me unless there's blood coming out from underneath that door now i don't think it's quite like that but <laughs> unless there's something that there is a major yeah, right. reason An emergency you need to open that door yeah that door is closed for 3 30 p.m till the next morning wow in terms of exercise, the exercise yard, one of the exercise yards that I was in there that had some exercise equipment outdoor and just grassed area yeah in the maximum security area one hour They've got one hour to be out in that particular area wow. each day, and that's it. The rest of the time, I assume, they're either working because there's jobs to do. They've right. got a bakery there. They've got a printing press that, that does various printing for other prisons. Yep. And they've also got a machining area that actually presses out the foil food receptacles. Right. And again, you get paid to work in some of these areas. Mm. You might get uh, paid, I think, the maximum is $72 for your week's work yeah, in, okay. in these areas. But you can yep. save up that money or you can spend it on things in yep. the prison. Yep. Uh, so you, you've got this place that prints out the foil food receptacles mm. that then, again, are used around the prisons around the state. Mm. It used to be, but it hasn't been for a long time, number plates being made mm, in yes, prisons. that's right. But yes. there are various things. So there's bakery. There, there is bread. But again, so they're not taking work off people in the outside world that bread that they bake in the bakery is used in prison cells around the state. So okay. it, it makes sense. They're, yep. they're trying to do things to almost be self-sufficient to well, a certain extent. For anyone extent. out there sort of feeling as though they're living in the Ritz-Carlton, it doesn't sound like the Ritz-Carlton to me. No. The minimum security was a little bit different, though. The okay. minimum security, they're only in their pods at night time, and I don't remember the exact time, but let's say 6 or 7 o'clock each night, mm. and then again out each morning. But the pod means that they can interact with each other, so it's not their cell. So the pod might have, say, 30 or 40 rooms in it, and you will go into your room at night time, mm. but you can actually play cards or talk to other people or even watch mm. some TV, certain limited channels you can watch there. So you can interact with other people at least. And the idea is that you're getting people ready to go to the outside world. When they're in the minimum security, there still could be people that have committed very serious crimes that might have been in prison for a long time. They might have been in prison for 20 years. Yep. But coming towards the end of like their a transitional time... transitional sort of period. Exactly okay. right. So yep. they've got this minimum security area where 
they're hoping that they're able to learn some more of mm. those interaction, socialising skills. Mm. And sometimes they'll even be taken outside to do some work detail outside. So okay. getting a little taste of the outside world. Yep. There's even a couple of people that actually work in jobs, normal jobs in the outside world, and they go oh, okay. home to right? prison each night. Yeah, yeah. Right. I didn't so, realise that. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't yeah. realise that either. I won't yeah. mention where they're working because some no, people no. might have a, a negative view of those, yeah. but I think it is a, a good program. Yeah. One guy I spoke to in particular, he gets out on Tuesday, the following, so the, I was there on the Friday, the following Tuesday. So he became very excited. I'd he say. was very excited. And yeah. as one of the um, guards actually said, we don't want to see you back here. Mm. I mean, they, they don't want to see them back here, but again, it's that whole thing about, yep, I'm going to try and get out in the real world, but yeah. sometimes there are some. Negative influences. So out speaking there. of which, uh, numbers like how many uh, prisoners are down there in actually in Wellington? Well, that is actually really interesting. Mm. Wellington Correctional Centre. I didn't go over to Macquarie, which is a separate prison, mm. but this one was the Wellington Correctional Centre in yep. particular. Yep. In there, they've got a capacity for just under six hundred prisoners. So five hundred ninety-two, oh, I think, is the exact number. Decent sized prison. Yeah. It is, except at the moment they've only got about three hundred in oh. there. Is there a reason for that? Well. No official reason. I, I talked to some people there and asked some questions, but there's no official reason. Yeah. What I actually did do after that visit was I went and looked on Boxar to see what the prisoner numbers are like across the entire state. Mm. And that was interesting as well. So to give you some idea there, across the entire state, we've got a decline in prisoner numbers compared to what it was, say, a few years ago. So to give you an idea, mm. if I go back to December 2019... And remember, Boxar stats are quarterly. So December yep. 19, 2019, there were 13,635,000 people in prisons okay. across the state. Yep. If I go to March this year, the latest data that we have, 12,555 people. So, so the population's increased. I'm assuming, you know, we're still seeing crime around the place, but those numbers have dropped. So, yeah, 7.9% reduction over three and a quarter years. Okay. And you're right, our population's increased by about 4.3%. Yep. Now, again, I can't give you an exact reason. People are obviously still committing crimes, yeah. and we're seeing discussion around that in the community. Mm. And the first thing you might think of is, well, that's fantastic. Prison population is dropping, therefore there must be fewer crimes being committed. But we remember from mm. last Boxar stats, we talked mm. about the rolling number, the rolling quarterly change. Mm. If you remember, it was 2.5% increase over the state that's on right. all crimes. So yes. you've got a dropping prison population and increasing crime numbers, yep. then the only logical conclusion you would come to is that the magistrates maybe aren't committing as many people to prison as mm. they might have done mm. in past years. Yes. So more of these people that are committing crimes are still in the outside world yep. rather than being in custody at the moment. Well, you've just shown the point there, the fact that there's obviously prison places available, is that they can't have the argument, the fact that there's no room to put them. No, no, you're exactly right. And new prisons have been built, obviously, over time, yep. and, and we've seen that with the Macquarie Correctional Centre down mm. in Wellington as well. So there's one new prison that's been mm. built alone. But you're right, and obviously if you look at those numbers, 13,635 down to 12,555, well, you look at that and you've got over a 1,000 spaces that must be available from that alone because presumably when there were 13,635 people there, yes. they might have been at capacity then, but if you take away more than a 1,000 people, then obviously Absolutely. there's a 1,000 spots available and we know straight away in mm. Wellington Correctional Centre there's at least a few hundred places available there. Yeah. So yeah. it is interesting. Don't know what to conclude from all of that. Yep. You can draw your own conclusions from that again mm. I was talking to staff at a prison. They weren't in a position to give any official reason no, for this job. I'm sure they have an opinion. <laughs> they probably do. They didn't give me their opinion, <laughs> yeah, which is exactly. fair enough. 
Oh, I like this. This is good. This is what we've been talking about in regards to uh, how things like the Bedangrel Wind Farm Community Benefit Fund, how it actually uh, impacts our community. And in this particular case, uh, Matt, you managed to get out to uh, Mumble Public School and they had the official opening of the Yarning Circle out there, which is... Uh, a very special circle for the Aboriginal people in regards to, uh, I suppose, ceremonial aspects. And it looks like Mumble Public School have just officially opened a new one. Now, yeah. this opening, I'm not going to sort of try to uh, take away your thunder here, but it sounds like this this funding for this has come from this Bedangra Wind Farm Project General's funding. Is that correct? Yeah, so we've got the Community Benefit Funds. We've talked about it before. One of the mm. great things about having wind farms in your area, not solar, we've been down that path before, but wind farms have to have some sort of community benefits fund. And Bedangra Wind Farm in Wellington, or in Bedangra technically, but mm. beside Wellington there, has got a community benefits fund. And yep. we go through a process where people make application to that and council hands out that money. So mm. I get to hand out checks to various people. And that's fantastic. And one of the ones that I've handed out previously was to Mumble Public School. Right. And it's now great to see the result of that. And so people that look at things like renewable energy in their area, they say, well, what benefit is it to us? And there are lots of benefits, employment benefits, obviously, and mm. even under construction, there's lots of money being injected into the economy. But here is a direct benefit. This school now is a yarning circle. And it's a pretty impressive yarning circle, it? actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, right, pretty impressed yeah. with it. This now has a yarning circle. Mm. And that yarning circle was built as a direct result of the application for funds they put in for the Community Benefits Fund from the Beningra Wind Farm. They've got that money and they've now got something extra in the school as a direct result. So apart from all the employment, apart from the construction monies that come into a community, you've got these sort of ongoing benefits. And most of these community benefit funds are 20 to 30 years long. So that money keeps flowing into those economies for Mm. all those years. Mm. So this is a huge once-in-a-generation opportunity mm. that we have mm. with our renewable energy zone. We talked about it last week. It's already gone, going from 3 gigawatts to 6 gigawatts. Yes. More proponents. That's more money coming into the economy. All good news around yeah, the renewable energy absolutely. zone. Absolutely. Speaking of good news, Wheeler's Lane has been officially reopened. So not the whole street, of course. That's a little bit there where the, the construction work has been taking place. Now, we talked about this very briefly there last week, Matt, the fact that this project uh, has come in about a month early. Well, it's not actually officially opened yet. Oh, isn't it? It's unofficially opened. Unofficially opened. So <laughs> can cars drive on it yet? Or? Correct. So what we've done with that particular area, you're right, it's, a, it's well ahead of schedule. We were right. talking about sometime around the end of September. Yep. I think we'll get it done by sometime around the end of August. What we've done at this stage is... We've laid the, the final surface on top, yes. so that's all done. Yes. We opened it up during the week, fantastic. So I went up there and did a bit of media, but it wasn't the official. We'll have an official ribbon-cutting ceremony. I was going to say, there's got to be the ribbon-cutting, surely. Absolutely right. Yes, yes. So that hasn't happened yet because what you've got to do is when you lay the asphalt, you need to let that cure or settle, oh. and you don't do the line marking until that process has occurred. But you that, have cars on it. You've got cars on it, that's fine. That's all part of that curing process. Oh, so, okay. so it's just basically with the paint that we put on there, right. we want to have that finally cured. Yep. That can take three weeks or so. Now, one of the things we've done mm. is we realise how long the detour was because mm. it was a long detour all the way up to Sheraton Road yes. just to go along that little detour there. And I really do thank the community because the patience that people demonstrated during that process was fantastic. We want to get it done, obviously, as quickly as possible. And that's, that's occurred now. People are on it, they're driving on it, I drove on it myself, there are cars driving on it, so that's fantastic. And this is stage one, remember, basically between the railway line and Birch Avenue. Yes. So that's that's the, the first stage so there. So there's another stage about to happen as well? Or? Well, there's uh, several stages to go with Birch okay. but that's, that's right. the first stage done. 
you'll still see some partial closures. So people can drive on it again now. They can mm. not have to allow the extra time to go on that big detour. Mm. But over the next few weeks, it'll be right. And then we'll do the line marking. But what we'll do with the line marking is we'll just close off one line, one lane at a time to do the line marking. So mm. rather than the whole area be closed down. So there might be some minor restrictions in a few weeks' time. Yep. But again, for the moment, it's open, it's running, you can drive on it. Fantastic, good news. Now, that was all done by our staff. It wasn't done by external contractors, Wonderful. so they've done really well there. Yeah, absolutely. And I must admit, we were helped by the weather a bit. We had Well, the weather has been beautiful. It has been, and we mm. had good weather for it. And temperature is important when you're doing anything involving asphalt or bitumen. Yeah. You've got certain areas where, or certain temperature ranges that it works best in, so everything seemed to go... Absolutely fantastically with that project. There were no surprises underground when we started digging up anything there. Oh, so good. sometimes that happens. You yes. think you know what's underground and you start digging away and suddenly you find some extra Massive things. a big pipe or some electrical work or whatever. Something like that that maybe yes. wasn't put on the plans correctly at some stage yes. many years ago. Yes. So everything went well. So good work to our staff and thanks to our residents for their patience. So you're on there driving on it now and it's a nice smooth bit of road. Mm. It's the same surface as Boundary Road, the Boundary Road extension. So it's a, it's a very good surface Oh, there. beautiful. Circus science. It's an interesting little one, Matt. Um, there's, there's been a bit of uh, controversy always around the, uh, the circus signs that come up. Um, these are the, quite often they can be the big balloon type uh, clowns, and there's the big signs that come up around the place. Is there any uh, council regulation as to where these signs can be placed and how long they could be up for, and do they have to go through any paperwork and things like that? A whole range of things that people should do, but maybe they don't always do. And this oh, doesn't just okay. apply to circus. This is businesses in general. If you want to go and construct a big sign for your business somewhere and just put it up randomly somewhere, yes, you're either not allowed to do it or you've got to put a DA in. There's a whole range of conditions there. Mm. When you've got something like the circus, you're quite right that sometimes you'll see some big blow-ups at various locations, mm. and they're typically not allowed. Mm. Oh, okay, There's you're right. Okay. lots of signs that typically are not allowed. So, for example, if you want to put up a sign on a private property somewhere for a short-term promotion, you can do that up to six square metres. So if right. I go along and yes. I say, Mark, can I put a sign in your front yard? I'm only going to have it there for a couple of weeks leading up to the circus and I'll give you some free tickets or whatever. Yep. As long as it's less than six square metres, that's okay. Yep. And again, that's only short-term promotional signage, not permanent signage. Yes. Unfortunately, the blow-up signs that you often see yes. are larger than yes. six square metres. So essentially, they're not allowed. They can put up some signage on the area where they've actually got the function, whatever it might right. be. So a circus yep. at the showground, you can put up a blow-up in the circus or in the showground grounds. Mm. Again, you get permission from the owner, which is council in this case. Mm. And so you can put up something larger there, you put up something larger than six square metres, put up the blow-up, whatever. But the issue that we have had with the circus in the past mm. is they put up signs everywhere yes and they're typically bigger than six square meters yes to give you an idea the last time they were in town 29 signs wow. were removed by our rangers right and they also had to take down the large clown that they had on private land yes. the large blow clown yes. Yes. one of the issues here is that if anyone puts up some signage that is illegal signage there is still due process to occur we can give the owner of that sign or the owner of that property, a letter. And we say, we've noticed you've got this sign, it's illegal. Mm. And they're given a certain amount of time 
to rectify that situation or they might want to appeal that situation. Mm. There's a process to go through. So it's not always a simple case for us to just come along and say, that's wrong, take it down. We've got to actually go through that notification period. So even if you give the notification, the sign can still stay up there, I suppose, until a decision's made or? Normally we'd actually ask the owner of the sign to take it down. Here's your letter. You've got a certain number of days to take it down or you've got a certain number of days to appeal that process. There are some, and I'm not accusing the circus of this, but there mm. are some who know the rules inside and out mm. and take advantage of the time frame that we've got to work with on mm. council. So mm. sometimes people say, oh, you've got these signs there, you've got a blow up there, what are you doing about that? Mm. Well, what we're doing is following our legal obligations mm. behind the scenes. People don't always see that. But again, if you're doing something and you do it within the time frames mm. available to you, you might put up that signage and then you remove it after the event mm. and then you say, oh, whoops, sorry, I've taken it down now, mm. but you've gotten the advertising value out of it. Yes. I've even seen political candidates do something similar yes. where yes. they put up signage they know to be illegal yep. and then take advantage of the number of days they've got to basically remove that when they receive a letter from and council. And of course, it doesn't matter if it's public or private land. Is it the same scenario? Well, public land is a bit different because okay. you, you shouldn't put it up on public land at all. And again, the whole thing is that so it can be removed straight away from public, public land? Public land, you probably could, because it's if it was council land, yep. if someone put up something on council land, we could remove it straight away because they probably didn't seek permission from council. Yep. Now, at the showground, when they're hiring the showground, they would probably ask for permission there. But if they yep. went and put it up on the library building yep. or in the council building, we'd say, hold on, that's our building. You didn't get permission. We'll yep. take it down straight away. Yep. So public land is a bit different. It's a bit like power poles. People put up lots mm. of signs on power poles. Mm. Typically, they're illegal because mm. they didn't get permission from the power provider to put those up. Yep. So light poles, which might be owned by council, for example, again, they're public infrastructure. Mm. If I talk about an election, for example, the only time you have permission to put up things on public property is on the polling booth, typically at the pre-election or or pre-polling or on the election day, there is a special clause that gives you permission to put up a sign on a school, for example, that might be used as a polling booth. But if you put up a sign on that school three weeks beforehand, no, that probably wouldn't be allowed because they didn't get permission from a public entity being the school in this case. You could always put up something if it's a private situation as long as it doesn't go... Uh, above the six square metres. That's correct. Now, that's not political signage too. That's different again for political yeah, signage. There's a different rule for that. <laughs> I knew there'd be a subclause on that one. But in this case for promotional signage, in this case for the circus, below six square metres on private property with permission from the private property owner, yes. then that probably is okay. Right. So keep an eye on yeah. that. And again, if we remove 29 signs last time, mm. hopefully they've learned their lesson, but maybe they just are quite happy mm. to put the signs up, get the promotion and wear the consequences. Have to wait and see. Last Thursday, Matt, uh, you had uh, the first, well, I will say the first uh, council meeting in the new chambers. That was a fair bit to get through in regards to the uh, the council meeting there that took place. Um, let's start off with this little one here in regards to here the tree preservation order. Um, now, this was uh, a discussion that obviously took place uh, in regards to, I'm assuming, that the nature of preserving the trees around Dubbo. Are, are there certain rules and regulations that... Um, that apply with this, and are there certain orders that we can have to preserve certain trees? Can I ask an English question first? You certainly can. I was unsure whether I could call it the council chamber or council chambers, and I went with singular. Mm. I actually decided in the end that I think it was more accurate to describe it as the council chamber. Yes. I know solicitors often say, come down to my chambers. Yes. 
and that may be because you've got multiple solicitors or barristers, for yes, example, in yes. an area together. And so that's often a term that we hear with that. But I think, and, and I'm asking you as an English teacher mm. here, mm. I think when I talk about where we have our council meetings, yes. I've been saying it's in our council chamber. Uh, and I suggest in the context the context of uh, how you would present that, that would be fine. Um, yes, the, the nature of the plural of the S uh, is an interesting little one. Um, I would probably run, because I'm on board listeners now in regards to the nature of the grammatics of the plurals, uh, but let's, let's run with council chamber for the sake of it. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot there. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's one that I did have some discussion with even with the media which we put out. I went, mm, I think I'm comfortable with council chamber. So yeah. I'm, I've been talking about our new chamber. Well, it is. Than it's new a chamber. singular it's, entity in its own right. That's it. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll stick with that. Thank you for the English lesson. My pleasure. And uh, so we've got the tree preservation order. So we've got a resolution of council now, but I'll go back a little bit and just talk about this briefly. Way back in 1995, the... Dublin City Council, as it was in the day, adopted a street tree master plan, and that had a strategic direction for the management of all trees across mm-hmm. the urban areas of Dubbo. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been working quite well. We've increased our tree canopy, and that's been going well. One of the parts of that was a tree preservation order. So we do have a tree preservation order now. Okay. And that tree preservation order relies on a significant tree register. Mm. If you think there's a tree that's significant that you want to make sure is maintained and you can't do anything to it without getting permission from council, mm. you can ask for that to be added to the right. significant tree register. Do we have a lot of trees in that uh, category? Not a lot. Okay. I haven't looked at that tree register for some time, but mm. I'd guess there's 50 trees on that. Okay. Maybe-ish. Yep. But, and, and just keep in mind, listeners, that's not 100% accurate there. That is really from that's memory right. for a long a time a ago. a rough guesstimate. A yes. rough guesstimate. And so that has worked-ish. Mm. to a certain extent over the years. There are some other councils that have different tree preservation orders in mm-hmm. place, and so there's some people in Dubbo who would like to see stronger rules around that. Now, for example, you could have, and I'm, I'm picking examples from other councils here, mm. you could have something along the lines of any tree in the urban area on private property that was above a certain height, pick a number, mm. six metres, eight mm. metres. If it was above that height, you as the land holder with that tree on your place could not do anything to that without getting permission from council. When I say do anything, mm. sure, you could do some light pruning, but if you're going to cut it down or do something significant to it, yeah. then you would need to get permission from council. Okay. Or it could be if the width of the trunk at a certain height, so let's go one metre above the ground, mm. if it was a trunk that was wider than, say, 80 centimetres, mm. then you couldn't do anything to that tree without permission from council. Now, these are all the things that we need to discuss with the community mm. What we resolved on Thursday night is that we will undertake community consultation about different options for urban tree management. Again, tree preservation order, Mm. whether the one we've got is good enough now, whether we need to increase that, and what we do with that. And there's other things around that. For example, there's going to be a cost to council. If we're going to have people make application to be able to do something to their tree, so for example, you've got a tree and it's causing problems to your underground infrastructure, your underground pipes, for example, and you want to remove that tree, well, I can't just go and cut it down because it's in the tree preservation order category. Mm. I'll need to get permission from council. Well, someone's got to assess that to see whether or not that's correct. So there's a cost there. So then do we charge an admin fee every time someone makes an application there? Mm. Well, that Mm. might discourage people from making an application. They might just go and cut it down anyway, anyway. which would then be against our tree preservation order. They could be fined if they did that. None of this is implemented yet. 
what I'm stressing to people at the moment is that at this stage, we've said we'll go out to do community consultation. Yep. Make sure you have a look at that. Make yep. sure you have a say in that. And there are people who will argue on both sides, I guarantee. There are some people who say we need to be much stricter. We need to increase our tree canopy. That's really important mm. for Dubbo going forward. So there's one argument there. There's be another argument, I guarantee, mm. that will say you don't go and tell me what to do in my backyard. Mm. Oh, absolutely. This is my backyard. Council, you go and get back in your box. Now, we do tell people what to do in relation to their house. You can't just go and build a house or a garage or a carport. You need to put a DA in and get permission from council Mm. to do that to make Mm. sure it complies with all the regulations. So Mm. we do do that a little bit in people's homes now, but in their garden, yeah, yeah, somebody might be happy with that. You mentioned about the whole idea of uh, consultancy. Is there a a group that uh, council consults in regards to uh, things like tree preservation? Well, that's a good question. I don't know that we have a an external group. We've got our own staff. We've got some right. great expertise on staff. Yep. We've also got a public spaces tree committee, okay. one of our community committees. Yep. That's more in relation to public spaces, not so much on private land. Sure. So this is really about our staff going through and having a policy they can work towards. Mm-hmm. They've got one now, as I said, but maybe it's not strong enough or good enough for some people. Maybe mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. This is a, a process that we need to work through mm-hmm. with the community to get the right outcome for the community. The next little item uh, I'd like to talk about in regards to what happened there uh, last Thursday night at the council meeting is in regards to um, community benefit funding. Now, I know we talked a little bit about this uh, going back a little while ago, that uh, people can apply. The council gives out a, a certain amount of money every year for community groups that they can apply for for funding. But there was apparently two pools of funding available. Now, it looks as though there's been a decision made possibly to combine the pools and to make it one community funding operation. Is that right? I didn't really understand why we had the two. Yeah. Back in the old WC Council days, we did have a, a fund that we would allow community groups to apply for and we'd give some money to them. And then in the time that I was away from Council, that fund grew into two different funds. Mm. We had the Community Services Fund and the Community Assistance Fund. Yes. One of those funds had $120,000 in it per year. Right. The other fund had $30,000. One fund you had to be a not-for-profit to apply for. The other fund, you had to be doing something to help people in the community. And I used to look at the two funds and I'd say, I'm not really sure the exact difference Mm. between these Mm. two. And community groups were the same. Oh, they must be very confused thinking, do I apply for this fund or do I apply for that one? Sometimes they apply for both. Oh, there you go. Because they didn't know. (laughs) And sometimes... (laughs) If in doubt, apply for both. They would get money from both because they did actually apply for both or or did, in terms of their conditions, they met the criteria for both. So it was a bit confusing and I was conscious of community groups that have got volunteers, part-time volunteers, Mm. that are doing this work. You don't want to make it more complicated than necessary. And we've actually had those funds undersubscribed recently, which means maybe everyone's got enough money out there in the community. I think that's the case. Maybe it was just getting too complicated and too hard for some of these communities to meet the criteria. Obviously, for our staff as well, they've got to go and assess all these and, oh, should this be in this fund? Or maybe that's that's the wrong one. Absolutely. But then if I was looking at it, if I was a community group and I could see a $30,000 total or $120,000, well, I'd try for that one. (laughs) That's right. So in the end, we discussed that at council on Thursday night and we resolved to basically wrap those two into one fund. Oh, smart move. Take the money from the two Mm -hmm. and combine that. So now $150,000 in the one fund. Yep. I, uh, in terms of the groups that can apply, basically you've got to be a not-for-profit 
focused on community outcomes in some yep. way, shape or form, which yep. seems reasonable. If there was a for-profit company that was doing good things in the community, mm. I don't know the community would be comfortable with some of their ratepayer money being mm. given to that organisation. Mm. So councillors are very clear that it has to be a not-for-profit community-focused organisation. So that's fantastic. And probably the only thing that I would have liked to have seen change a bit more, but I didn't win the argument on this one, was mm. we used to have two rounds a year. I like the idea of four rounds a year because mm. for some of these community groups, they don't always know exactly when they're going to have this requirement for funds. Keeping in mind that some of these groups, they spend a fairly short period of time planning an event or yep. planning the use of these funds because yes. they're not full-time at it all day every day. Yep. And so sometimes you might say, oh, you just missed out on that fund. In six months' time, you can apply for the next one. Yep. And they'd say, oh, well, actually, I'm trying to do a community cleanup in three months' time yes. and so I, I can't wait for six Something's months' time. Something's come up and we, we're looking for a bit of money to, money to get it up and going and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, so I like the idea of four times a year. Mm. The argument back from the staff was that the extra cost in the staff assessment time mm. would add additional requirements or additional cost to council okay. to run. So I accepted that argument and, again, I, I suppose I lost that argument, but two times a year, we'll see how that goes. Maybe with the ease of application process now, maybe that'll save enough staff time that we can have four a year, but for mm. the moment, twice a year, and so that's how it is going forward. Yep. There was a pause on applications put in place for the funds that would normally be done in July because right. we wanted to make sure that the staff said, hold on, don't put those applications in. We want to make sure where councils are going with this. Now they've done that, there'll be the new criteria that'll come out and people can put those applications in. But I think a good result and just a bit of a tidy up. It's actually quite nice. We talked about it, as you said, mm. many months ago. Mm. It's actually quite nice when you see a problem, you identify yes. that, councillors talk about it, we have a discussion, yep. we get an outcome and we see the change come through. It's actually nice to see that come through to the end. Yeah. And, and see again, the process and see the outcome. And, and see, hopefully, these funds given out to those community groups. Absolutely. I know this has uh, been one of the big parts. I, I would imagine too, as, as the mayor of uh, of Dubbo in regards to the Dubbo region, destination Dubbo projects would be an exciting part of of seeing how we as a city are moving forward. Now, Matt, just talk us through first and foremost uh, this this whole idea of destination Dubbo projects. But what are they first and foremost? Because they're, they're big projects and they're big ideas. This is going back to the previous council, it probably was some amalgamation money around. Destination mm -hmm. Dubbo was some funds that they applied for. Mm -hmm. And there's three good projects. I think, in fact, all three are fantastic projects that will be undertaken at some stage in the future. We've got the Macquarie River Foreshore Events Precinct Project. Yes. We've got the Old Dubbo Jail Heritage Plaza Project. And, of course, the Radry Tourism Cultural Centre Project. Mm, mm. So all three, three projects. things we've spoken about too, isn't it? Absolutely yes. right. Yeah. And I, I think, realistically, we'll all add to Dubbo overall. Probably my greatest disappointment in this is that when you apply for a grant, any grant, you should have some knowledge and information about the grant fund, how you're going to use those grant funds, what the total funds needed are, how much you might need to contribute from mm. council funds, because some funds have only got certain limits, 50-50 funding, for example. Other funds might be 100%. Mm. But the other really important one is the ongoing cost mm. of running that facility. And I take Barden Park as a perfect example. When we're looking at getting the funding to build the Barden Park Athletic Centre, mm. One of the things we looked at in that is we, we did a tour of different athletic centres and we saw one in particular that had horribly worn out lanes, lanes one and a little bit of lane two. Mm. And we spoke to the owners of that particular facility and they said one of the mistakes they made was they didn't realise how often you need to replace the track or at least 
do a resurfacing of the track, not replace mm, it completely. Mm. And so they had these worn out lanes, but they didn't have the money to go and fix those. Mm. What we did when we put together the funding proposal, the business case for Barden Park was we needed the money to build it in the first place, yep. which we got mostly from federal, some from state and a small amount from council. Yep. And we also put into our Ford budget ongoing maintenance of that mm. facility, including the big picture replacement of things like the track on yep. a semi-regular basis. So I think it was about every 10 to 15 years was the estimation there for when you need to do that. So we had a, a sinking fund. Money was going into a sinking fund yep. that would then get to that point where it was, had enough money to actually go and do that. So these are the things you have to do. Now, I suppose the greatest disappointment I had with the last council was they saw some money being offered. They went and applied for that money without actually doing the full analysis, mm. the full costing, mm. and in fact, I'd go so Running far as to say... business plans of almost, of how it's going to look, yeah. A, a business case for it. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because the last council spent $100,000 on doing a business case for a drug rehab facility that was never going to be owned or run by council, mm. that was always going to be owned and run by the state government. And you would argue that it doesn't matter how much money you spend on a business case, yep. the state government would only build that facility when they were ready to build that facility. So we've got no proof whatsoever yep. that the $100,000 business case would bring the drug rehab facility to Dubbo any quicker than mm. when the state government was going to do it anyway based on all their data. In fact, we haven't got it yet, mm. and they spent that money five years ago, mm. so it'll probably be seven so, years so, after so, Was the there money. any money then spent towards you know setting up the same type of plan for, uh, for these projects? Or? Zero. Oh. So that's where I suppose my biggest concern is that for council-owned, council-managed, council-built facilities, surely you'd spend a bit more time. Yeah. The best I could find was a resolution that said that following an internal feasibility review, the CEO be authorised to submit a funding application for these funds. Internal feasibility review doesn't mm. sound mm. quite enough. Mm. They put the applications in. They were successful yep. in getting funds for these three projects. But again, because they hadn't really done enough analysis, first of all, yep. and hadn't really done enough costings overall, then the actual amount to deliver those three projects in their initial vision yep. was nowhere, or the amount was way above the amount of funding they received. Yeah, right. So where does this place us now? In an interesting position. Mm. And, and I've seen terms in local media saying things like, budget blowout for these projects. Mm. Well, it's not really a Has budget there been a blowout. budget blowout? Has there? Or? Well, there's been a quotation blowout. Right. What's that mean? That means that the amount that we would spend if we deliver these projects is more than we've got. Right. But it's a budget blowout is something that I would see if I've got a budget put together now and I start going down that budget, spending that money in that budget, and then suddenly I get to the bottom of that budget and I go, oh, no, I've got to spend more money. The expenditure of that money would be a budget blowout after you expend the money. We haven't expended the money yet because mm. we're still pausing mm doing something sensible, rational, analysing it. Should we go ahead with these projects? How can we go ahead with these projects, given the fact that the costings we've now got, now that mm. we've got some accurate costings, mm. are more than the budget funds that we've got available so to us? are we still in a position then to still go ahead with these projects based on what you're saying? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so let me run through a little bit more. So essentially, there was about $13 million, and these are very round numbers, about yep. $13 million that we had from Destination Dubbo funding, mm. again, when they went back and put the applications in. Mm. The cost estimate to deliver the three projects is about $27 million. Yeah, that's, that's a fairly big shortfall. Yeah, so I'd call it a grant shortfall rather than a budget mm. blowout. Mm. 
But we managed to get, this council managed to get another $5 million from Create New South Wales from a different funding stream, okay. specifically for the Radri Cultural it's Tourism Centre. So about 18 there or something? That's right. So we've got about $18 million of funding, of grant funding available, but yep. that's still less than 27, yes, obviously. Yes, so it's still a bit short. That's right. What we resolved, a few options for us. So we could just say, what the heck, we'll just go ahead and we'll just take $9 million from our consolidated revenue from from our reserves mm. and spend that money and, well, we'll just have to cover that somehow. Mm. And I know there are some councils who would do that. Oh, look, we've got money in the bank. We'll just go and spend that and mm. deliver these projects. This council is much more focused on good economic outcomes. So they're not going to just go and spend that money willy-nilly. The second thing we could do is we could say, let's cut one of the three projects. Yep. For example, how do we do that? Which one do we cut? How do mm. we, we cut that? Can we change the funding from one to another? A whole range of questions there. Or we could look for other funding I streams. I say, can you seek more funding? Yeah. So with the New South Wales government, we've probably come to the end of our funding options because we've already been given $13 million yep. in one funding from Infrastructure New South Wales. We've got another $5 million from Create New South Wales. Yep. So it's kind of a bit rude to go back and say, can we have more? We and have plus, done that. Plus we talked about this in regards to timeframes or potential timeframes on that money too, isn't there? Correct. Exactly right. So we've actually gone back and done that. We've gone back and said, hey – any chance of any more money there and we're basically at the bottom of the bucket there mm, and mm. we have got a new government in place and this new government probably isn't as flexible with their funding for regional areas as maybe the last government. So mm. we've got that hitting up against as well. One advantage we have got is the infrastructure in New South Wales money has the potential to be reallocated to different projects. The Create New South Wales money is absolutely specifically for a certain stage of the Radri Cultural Tourism Centre. Right. So that's a bit locked in. Yep. That money has got a deadline much longer away than INSW money. Mm. That's June 2026 for the Create New South Wales money. So we've got a bit more flexibility okay. there. Yep, there's still time there for that. This has been a fair bit of analysis over the last few weeks by council staff and by councillors to get to a position finally. What we're going to do, as resolved by council, is we're going to ask Infrastructure New South Wales if we can take the money from the Radri Cultural Tourism Centre and spend that on the other two projects. And to give you an idea, just the, the breakup, the Radri Cultural Tourism Centre is about $16 million, the Heritage Plaza is about five, and the Foreshore Project is about six. Mm, mm. If we take the money from INSW and redirect that to the Foreshore and Heritage Plaza, then we can deliver those two projects at close enough to no cost to council. Right. That then leaves us with a project, $16 million project for the Radri Cultural Tourism Centre that's only got the $5 million from Create New South Wales. Mm. So it's $9 million roughly thereabouts short. Mm. And and again, let me go back a little bit. I think those two projects, if we deliver on those, the great part about that is that Infrastructure New South Wales has some flexibility, but they're also the one that's got the hard deadline. Yep. So they really want us to deliver yep. those projects and sooner rather than later. Heritage Plaza, well, it, it's already in a state of something happening. I'm not <laughs> quite right. sure what, but there's something happening there, isn't there? It'd be know? nice to see something finished uh, absolutely. there. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. So that's the decision Council's taken to say, right, let's move that funding to there, let's finish those projects off, and then with mm. the Radri Cultural Tourism Centre, there's some federal government money. So there is options still available for that? That's right. There's a, a new fund that will open up in August. Okay. And so that fund, we think we've got a pretty good chance on that mm. in terms of this is a significant Aboriginal project for culture and also a significant tourism project for Dubbo mm. because we don't have any 
great options in regional New South Wales, regional Australia, I would say, mm. to have something like that Redry Cultural Tourism Centre. I think this can be absolutely oh, fantastic. Absolutely. And I think this can put Dubbo on the map mm. almost to the same level as the zoo does. Mm. So I, mm. I've got huge um, priority or, or a, a, a huge excitement around this project because yep. I can just see it being so good for Dubbo and so good from a cultural perspective as well. Yep. Now, what we're going to do, though, is the funding from the federal government is only 50-50 funding. But by using the Create New South Wales money from the state government, adding in $2.2 million of our money, mm. we are then hoping that we'll be able to get the other 50% of that project. So ultimately, that $16 million project, we think we can deliver for about $2.2 million of council money. Well, that sounds fantastic. Not as good as zero. But still, based on what you're saying here, it it still sounds like a very good outcome. Better than $9 million. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. right. Now, we'll have to put that expression of interest in. That's fine. We'll do that. There'll be a process to go through. We'll look for other funding sources uh, as we go ahead. But again, it's a significant sum of money. Mm. So it's not a budget blowout. It's analysing. It's looking at it. It's actually taking a rational, pragmatic approach, if I can use that word again, to the money that's there, no one wants to give funding money back, no. but ultimately, if you're going to have to pay $9 million that's unbudgeted, yeah. not a budget blowout, that's unbudgeted, yeah. then you might decide not to go ahead with that project at the moment and give the $5 million back. Not that we've got the $5 million, but mm. they don't pay the money until you've done the project typically, mm. but or, or stages. But essentially say to Creighton yourself, oh, thank you very much for that funding. We can't deliver this project yeah. as it stood previously, so we'll have to say no at the moment and keep looking for other ways to deliver it. But again, we've got till June 2026. Yes. So we've got a bit of flexibility there and they're okay with us because they are a big believer in this particular project as well. Oh, that's very good. So hopefully that explains it and makes a bit more sense mm. and maybe there was a little bit of clickbait in the one of the media articles that I read <laughs> about the budget blowout. Just a little bit maybe. So Matt, look, just in regards to the uh, proposed uh, drug rehab centre uh, over there in Spears Drive, I was looking through some of the council business papers here, and I just want to draw your attention um, to a comment that's, uh, that came up here, a, a statement that came through. As a council, we are determined to be the voice for the community on these issues, and we will continue to advocate and play an enabling role to assist in services being provided. There is, of course, a limit to what we can do. The ratepayers of our LGA cannot and should not bear the burden of the capital expenditure and the recurrent budget of rehabilitation centres, drug courts and the like. These things are fundamentally state and or federal government responsibilities. Now, this is in relation, I'm assuming here, to the proposed drug centre. So, in all our discussions we've had in regards to it, I'm assuming then this is Council's position on this. Well, it's interesting you say that because that sounds like some people would say that's a statement that's being made by council. Is that the current position? As it stands today. Well, that statement was actually made by councillor Stephen Lawrence, as he was at the time, and he was representing the council and the mayor at the time, Ben Shields, Right. when he gave a presentation to an inquiry that was being held, and that inquiry was into the provision of drug rehabilitation services in regional, rural and remote New South Wales. Now, that was a parliamentary inquiry. Right. And they went around to different locations and took statements from various people. Yep. They came to Dubbo on the 9th of May, 2018. Yep. And that was where Stephen Lawrence gave that statement. Yep. And it is 
intriguing. I find it a little bit intriguing. Well, is, this this is it's very intriguing because the fact that this has been uh, part of the argument against it is, is the fact they're putting it all of this on the current council in regards to the change supposedly that took place in regards to position. But what you're saying here now is the fact that this statement, which is pretty clear and obvious, came through back in 2018. And the, the two things in there that I think are significant, the statement from Stephen Lawrence was that the rate payers of our LGA cannot and should not bear the burden of the capital expenditure. Mm. So giving away a parcel of land, yep. that's capital expenditure. Yes. You've got two types of expenditure, your recurrent, which you mentioned in that statement, yep. and your capital. Well, your land is part of the capital. It's not part of the recurrent. And then he also says the these things are fundamentally state and or federal government responsibilities, which mm. absolutely is correct. I, I didn't hear local government part of that. No. So it is interesting that there have been statements made that the last council gifted a parcel of land and then obviously there's been criticism by some former councillors, including Stephen, mm. Lawrence's, say, Stephen Lawrence, saying that this council has reneged on that offer. Again, we've talked about it. There is no resolution of council. Mm. There was never an offer made. But you would always also find it strange that an offer would be made by the last council Based on given that the statement. fact that this is their position. Yeah. Now, this isn't yeah. just a, an offhand comment. It's not a chat at the pub. No. This is making a statement to a parliamentary inquiry. Mm. Presumably before you go to a parliamentary inquiry and make a statement, you make sure that this is the official position of the council mm. and you make sure you don't say something wrong or incorrect. Mm. And in fact, that statement that you just made there, which was in our business papers, yeah. is the corrected transcript. So, in other words, when you have a transcript, if there's some word that someone can't understand when they're doing the transcript, they might ask you, for example, what was that word? What was the statement you made there? Is this correct? You can't change what you said, but you can yeah. correct it and make sure. So that is a corrected statement from that particular inquiry. Yeah. One of the things that we have talked about with the drug rehab is that there has never been a promise made to gift a pass of land. Yep. Absolutely, positively, we've had discussions. One of the things that went through the council meeting and the, where those papers you had for mm. there was that we had an agenda item that said matters for consideration around provision of land to New South Wales Health for the purposes of an alcohol and other drug rehabilitation facility. Mm. That was a, a resolution that was brought forward last month to say what would we have to do and it was pretty clear in that report, it's a fairly long report, 25 pages or 24 pages thereabouts, and in that report, it goes through about all the steps you would have to take if you were going to gift land. Mm. Not only is there no resolution of council previously on the last council to gift yep. land, but none of these steps that we have been uh, or they've been illustrated to us by our CEO that we yes. would have to take to gift land, none of those steps were undertaken. So mm. it was obvious that no land was gifted. Mm. There might have been some intention there, but we've talked about it before. You can have a workshop, you can have a few mm. thoughts. Yep. You, and, you and I can kick a footy around and talk about something, Absolutely. but it's not a council resolution, no. and that's what we've got to follow. Mm. We want to get a full stop put on this. Mm. Council's being dragged into this, unfairly in my opinion, because yep. it's not council's responsibility. This is a state government facility, and you've just heard from Stephen Lyons well, in 2018. Well, from what I can read there, was it the previous council's responsibility either? That's exactly right. We want to put a full stop on it. There's been lots of scuttlebutt and different information talked about in the community. So council resolved on Thursday night at the meeting a couple of things that were important. The first thing they resolved is that based on the information from New South Wales Health that we do not have any site, and we listed the 19 sites minimum, I used to say 16 sites because that mm. was a, an approximate number given to me by staff, but they went through and actually found 19 sites that they talked to 
New South Wales Health about, mm. based on the criteria that they've given us in confidence now, we didn't have them initially, but we have them now, we don't have any site that would satisfy their criteria. And some of the important criteria or items are it cannot be delayed significantly. Right. It cannot cost more. You need services there. You need water. You need sewer. You need public transport. So mm. there are certain things you need in the parcel of land that is chosen. Yes. So based on that, the resolution of council is that we don't believe we've got any parcel of land that satisfies your conditions, yep. despite the fact we've shown you 19 parcels of land. I was going land. to say, yeah, that's right. There's been plenty of options shown. We also introduced them to other agencies, other organisations, other groups that might have had land. Mm. They might have been people like the Aboriginal Lands Council, for example. Mm. They've got land. Maybe some of that would be appropriate. And out of all of that, they still chose Spears Drive, which is not a parcel of land that we ever showed them. So they're undertaking their own investigation anyway. Absolutely right. And a statement was made by New South Wales Health was that even if we came up with a parcel of land today and said, there you go, we've fast-tracked the resolution, which would be, I would have question marks about the probity issues there if we fast-tracked but something. Mm. But let's say in a hypothetical world, we suddenly made a decision on Thursday night to gift them a parcel of land. New South Wales Health had said it would take them probably six months to go through their own investigations because they're only going to choose another parcel of land if it's mm. materially better mm. than the parcel of land they have chosen now. So mm. after all the investigations with all land, and remember, I can't stress this enough, yeah. it's the state government. Yeah. They could have any parcel of land they want. They've yeah. got compulsory acquisition powers. Yeah. Or they could just send council a letter if they have a parcel that we own and said, we've got compulsory acquisition powers, but rather than go down that path, hey, we'd like this parcel of land over there. Now, again, would you go through all the process with compulsory acquisition? Mm. If it's a state government, you know they're going to win. Yep. So That's right, exactly. They can, they can have any parcel they yes. like. They've chosen Spears Drive. Furthermore, what we resolved on Thursday night was that we would give them two parcels of land, which have been considered previously, but we'll, mm. we'll say here's two parcels of land again. Mm. Do an assessment on those two. Don't worry about the 19 parcels. There's a parcel of land in North Bungle Gumby. There's a parcel of land out at Greengrove. Here you go. Have another look at those, please. Yep. Give us your assessment, but also we're asking you to give us a public response to the assessment of mm. those two parcels of land. Because a lot of the stuff that we're given at the moment is confidential. Yep. We can't contravene the confidentiality of what New South Wales Health gives us. So, for example, all the criteria for the parcel of land was given to us in a confidential document. Huge number of criteria. I can't talk about all of that yep. because I'm not the state government. Mm. I can't go and just breach that confidentiality. Mm. So we're asking them. Now, they don't have to do it. Yep. We're council. We can't tell the state government what yep. to do. Yep. We're asking them to assess these two parcels of yes. land and give us a public response to the assessment on yep. those two parcels of yep. land. Because, of course, the current council's made it very clear the fact that, look, that they've opposed in principle the development over there in Spears Drive. That's that's on record, they're stating. So now you've turned around and said, look, here, here's another couple of options. Have a look at it. We feel as though potentially they might meet the requirements of what you're asking here. But in return, publicly tell everybody what your thoughts are. Correct. Because they've told us privately. We've had a conversation privately. We've got information privately. But we can't talk about that mm. out in the public arena. So have a look at those. Again, our formal resolution says that we don't think these two parcels will meet your criteria. Yep. Because, and again, this is a, that formal council resolution. We've said we don't think any parcels that we own meet your criteria. Yep. But we're also saying, have a look at these two. We still don't think they meet your criteria, yep. but have a look at these two and you tell us. Yep. We don't want to rely on what we've read confidentially. No. You tell us publicly whether these will be suitable for you or not. Yep. Because again, I still get people even in the last couple of days, who have been emailing me saying, can you please change the location of the drug rehab facility? Mm, mm. And I've answered them, every single one of them, I'll answer and say, 
we formally oppose yeah. the location of the drug rehab facility. But we can't change it. We yeah. do not have the powers yeah. to change the location. We'll continue to try to give options, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the state government that has to make that final call. That's right. And I think they've made that final call internally, mm. but they need to come out and say it publicly. Absolutely. And there are times we, we, in whatever level of government you are, you make decisions that may not be popular decisions. You make the decisions for the right reasons, yeah. with all the right information, with all the right data, yeah. And you make the decisions, and then you explain to the public why you made the decisions. And I've had people say to me, on many occasions, I didn't agree with the decision council made on whatever it was, yeah. but I understand why you made that. Part of the reason for this podcast is so that people understand what's going on yeah. behind the decision-making process. Absolutely. I'll notice here, Matt, uh, that at the end of the... Council meeting, towards the end of the council meeting, not the end, but towards the end, there's uh, opportunity there for uh, for councillors to just sort of make a general statement in regards to some thoughts. Um, I notice here that uh, Councillor Wright uh, brought the attention of everybody uh, the fact that that wonderful new facility over there in West Dubbo, over the um, the toilet block over there, we've spoken about the 3D toilet block. Now, all that funding was actually agreed upon by the previous council. I thought it was you guys. Well, interestingly enough... And he congratulated them too, by the way, in did, regards yeah. to putting that money forward. Yeah, Councillor Wright was saying, well done to the previous council. The last budget that the previous council approved was in June 2021. The election mm-hmm. for this current council was held in December 2021. So yep. that was their last budget, financial year. And what you do when you have a budget is you have the next year's budget, but then you also have a four-year forward budget planning process, right. which makes sense. You, yep. You're not just doing it one year and then, oh, what do we do next year? You're, you're doing that four-year mm. in advance all the time, so you're always doing that rolling four years. Yes. And Councillor Wright did bring it up on uh, at the council meeting on Thursday night, uh, very complimentary from the last council because in their forward budget, they had $300,000 that they'd allocated in the budget for the Lions Park West Amenities Block. Mm. And so that was sitting there, and that was one of the reasons that drove this council to make that change there. We knew it had to be replaced. It was old, it was tired, it was costing us money in maintenance, and the money was already there in the budget. Well, it's been a good decision. Fantastic decision. The outcome's been fantastic. That's right. And and again, we spent $316,000, so $16,000 over that budget. But again, keep in mind that building prices have gone through the roof, so I'm pretty impressed that we only spent $316,000 on it. So the council that moved that particular motion for that particular forward budget was Councillor John Ryan, and then it was a unanimous vote from council. So they were all quite happy with that $300,000 going towards the Lion Park West facilities, and then we spent that money on that. So good outcome all round. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, it's uh, that time of the week, time for the Limerick of the Week. Now, boy, oh boy, it's been a long podcast today. I've got a feeling it's probably, uh, we've just broken our new record for length of time of discussion. There was a lot on this week. There was actually. a lot on this week. And we week. had to leave a few other I know, we have to save that for out. next week one. Yeah, maybe. So what do you offer us this week? Well, it's all about the new chamber. I think that's been the interesting topic of discussion this week, so I thought I'd write a Limerick on the chamber. So here we go. Dubbo's council with visions so clear unveiled a new chamber this year for meetings and chatter on civic issues that matter, and applause ran from front to the rear. <laughs> well done. Well done. And to all the uh, those who were down there the other day as well, to the, the new councillors and the old council, must have been lovely to sort of to see the new facilities up and running. Well, folks, that uh, dead set wraps us up for another one of our Straight From The Mayor's Mouth podcast. Until next week, everybody, take care. Straight from the Mare's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson 
from Dublin Regional Council.